Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm going to talk about Kid Icarus Uprising with one of my past guests who kind of gave me the idea for this episode. It's Minute Rice. Hey, I'm back. This is, what, the second or third episode I've been on? Uh, it's the third recording session, but technically the fourth episode. We talked about... Oh, right. You you split the one into two episodes. I remember that now. Yeah, we talked about Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, and then we had a tea time about Fire Emblem in general, but mainly Three Houses. And now yeah. we're talking about Kid Icarus Uprising, because we just like to play all the anime-style games that gets the Smash Brothers fan base salty. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Although, Kid Icarus Uprising is one of my favorite games on the 3DS, just in general. It's a very good game. Uh, Masahiro Sakurai did this between Smash Bros. Brawl and Smash Bros. 4, and you can tell it has his fingerprints all over it. This is a game that really shows just how much effort he'll put into any game he does. Yeah, the, the man's a madman, and... He designs games that are just so incredible. Like, don't get me wrong, Smash Bros. is amazing, but I really want to see him branch out more and really do more stuff like Uprising. Like, just these out-there games that are still very clearly a Sakurai game. You can tell, and just for clarification, you can tell when something's a Sakurai game because he has a very particular way of designing the interface and the player experience, particularly in the menus. He's got a lot going on there. He seems to experiment with his menu design every time he makes a game, and... Uprising was where he introduced his sliding difficulty scale that he would later carry into Smash Bros. Oh yeah, I think the menu thing... Uh, well, as much as I'd like to say it was kind of based off what his wife did with uh, Spectrobes or whatever that game was called, uh, it actually feels like an evolution of the menu he had in Kirby Superstar. Yeah, that's actually pretty fair. Uh, I've only played Superstar very, very briefly, so I'm not oh. super familiar with it, but... Well, I did an episode about how influential it's been on Kirby as a whole. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch that. <laughs> or listen, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a very Sakurai game. E even the boss rush is very, very Sakurai. The, yeah, the way it gives it's... you five recovery items and stuff like that. Yeah, that's basically what I was going to say. It's It uses that same style that I was first introduced to way back when it was done in Melee, but he seems to include that kind of a boss rush in pretty much every game he makes. Oh yeah, including Kirby Superstar! <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever beaten that boss rush on hard mode. I think it's like the only challenge thing I haven't really done in that game. Uh, I did... I did the boss rush in Kid Icarus Uprising. By the way, spoilers for this game, because this game kind of thrives on plot twists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I I was very worried I'd have to fight the final boss, but they graciously didn't include that. And I, I was just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But even so, the bosses leading up to the final boss in Uprising are pretty rough. The Great Sacred Treasure in particular is a real run-ender. Yeah. So, Kid Icarus Uprising is the first Kid Icarus game in 25 years at the time of its release. 
And if the post credits scene is anything to go by, it's going to be another 25 before we get another one. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. It was like, what, what 2011, I think? when they... It was 2011 or 2012. Okay. I actually don't know off the top of my head. Oh, we're approaching the decade mark. <laughs> oh my god, I feel old. Oh yeah, tell me about it. But yeah, uh, I remember when I first got the game, I went through the story, particularly the first nine chapters, and at the time I was really worried about the trend of video games just constantly getting shorter, and I got to nine chapters and I'm like, wait, is this it? This can't be it. What's going on? And then Hades ripped out the fake credits, and I'm like, oh, oh, there's still more game left. Okay, I'm I'm down for this. Oh yeah, that was a very well done uh, plot twist. Yeah, one of several. The game is... I don't know how to feel about the story, because on the one hand, it's an unfocused mess, but on the other hand, it's really, really good, because the characterization is just phenomenal, and it also has one of the best localizations I've ever seen from a Nintendo game. Well, uh, well, I agree with most of what you just said. I think... For the most part, the story being a little unfocused kind of works to the advantage of the villains. Yeah. Because, uh, okay, so let's let's kind of talk about the plot a little bit. Is Medusa from the first game comes back, and well, maybe she's in the second game, I don't know, but she comes back and she and the Underworld declare war on everything, I guess. And so Pitt, being our hero and backed by Palutena, rises up to stop her. Yeah, pretty simple, basic plot. Goes through a few twists and turns, and then you get to the end. It really does feel like a final level. Like, Chapter 9 is a pretty insane beast, especially if you're trying to play it on 9.0, which I have. It's really hard. (laughs) And then Hades comes out after a while and introduces himself as the real villain and also the best character in the game. Oh my god, yes. He's so perfect. And then, uh, we we deal with Hades for a little bit, but then Veridi comes out and just, she throws her lot into the war because she's tired of all the environmental destruction. Yep. And then after that, the fighting attracts the Arum, a bunch of space creatures that nobody knew anything about before, and so they end up fighting them as well as one of the minor gods who decides to merge with the Arum later on after putting up a front of being a good guy. And then, after all of that, there's a time skip where the war continues. Because during the whole stuff with Veridi's forces, Pitt accidentally unleashed a really sinister demon scorpion moth thing. and Yeah, the Chaos Kin. Yeah, and that lives up to its name. It's just a very destructive monster that causes madness. Yep. And that's why there's a time skip, because Pitt got knocked out of commission for three years which is probably just a yep. blink in the eye for him but still and then he woke up and he was a ring and oh yeah control whoever wears the ring so that's the level where you get to play as magnus which is really cool the first time you do it but really really awful when you're trying to play it on the harder difficulties <laughs> and then like i cannot emphasize that enough once you finally clear up all the fallout with the chaos kin everyone just has a collective oh crap moment when they realize that all the deaths from all the different shifts in the war have just done nothing but contribute to Hades' army. Yep. 
So then everyone teams up and they take the war to Hades and Pit gets a brand new great sacred treasure and it's awesome. And the final battle is long and arduous and really cool and God, I love this game. Yeah, so I feel like the story being disconnected kind of works in its own way. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that I don't think you could pull off in any other medium besides a video game. Because if you look at it as just a singular plot, it's really unfocused. Like, you might be able to work it into like something serial, like a TV show, but even then, it'd still be kind of a mess. But because you're playing through it, and constantly engaged in it as the plot is happening, because one of the quirks about this game is that you're playing it for a lot. There's actually not very many cutscenes. The dialogue just plays over it while you're fighting. So a lot of developments just happen in-game. Yeah, you really don't arrest the player for anything. Pretty much. Yeah, there's cutscenes, I think, at the sometimes at the beginning, usually before the boss, and then there's usually something at the end. And with a few special exceptions, that's pretty much it. Yeah, which kind of fits into Sakurai's philosophies of focusing on the gameplay. It's kind of a neat way to work around the whole system of, oh, we need to do some exposition. Oh, but we don't want to hold the player up. I know. Yeah, let's just have them yabber constantly. And I do appreciate that they have the option to turn it off, but I actually never used it because I really, really like the English cast. I think they all delivered their lines brilliantly. Yeah, uh, much like Fire Emblem Awakening, which came out in a similar time, this was around the point where Nintendo started using seasoned voice actors for their games, and not just John from Accounting. Yeah, and it honestly really helps the game so much, because there's so much packed into this script, so much, so many emotional beats that they need to hit, and the humor especially. Like, humor is one of those really finicky things that if you don't deliver it light, it is... But light, right, that's the word I meant. If you don't deliver it right, it's gonna fall flat, but none of the humor in this game falls flat for me. I always at least get a chuckle out of the jokes, despite the fact that I've heard them half a million times. Oh yeah, the voice actors all... they really fit the characters. I don't think there's a weak link in the entire chain. There really isn't, and that's amazing. Character-wise... There is one character who kind of sticks out to me, but that's not because of the actor. It's just they don't do much with the character involved. I Which character would that be? Uh, in Chapter 7, you talk to Poseidon for a little while, and he's... Oh, yeah, he, he's just kind of there. He's just Poseidon. He's, he's exactly what you expect. They don't... Like, the game's mythology is kind of weird. They mix Greek mythology and then their own OC gods, but... Yep. Poseidon is just kind of Poseidon. They even mixed in a little Metroid in there. <laughs> oh yeah, the Kamados. Kamados, and then but there's the whole space Poseidon, pirate episode. Poseidon, they don't do anything with him. It's just kind of weird. No, they really don't. And he disappears but after the happens. one chapter there's... he's in. He's not even the boss of the chapter or anything. Yeah. He's really the only bit part I can think of now that I think about it. I, I thought there were a couple of bit parts like him, but no, it's it's really just him. I get the feeling they might have wanted to do a bit more with him, but then just couldn't find a place. Yeah, that sounds like about the most reasonable answer. Heck, even Thanatos, the boss of that chapter, came back later with his big whole fight with uh, Phosphora, which that level is just awesome in general. I really like how... All the enemies have their own quirks. Not not even just the bosses, just the mooks. 
they all have their own quirks. They never really stop running out of ideas until late in the game. And even even when they do start recycling ideas, they acknowledge it with lore in the universe. Yeah. Yeah, they lampshade it pretty good, and honestly, the combinations you get at the end of the game are some pretty crazy stuff that can be pretty difficult, And again, in the higher difficulties. Again, I must emphasize, I beat this game on 9.0, so <sighs> I'm very, very familiar with its uh, various design quirks, especially for the enemies. An underrated aspect of designing an action game is the different enemies, what they're capable of, and then how you can make fun combinations of enemies in different encounters. Yeah. Yeah, I... I know most of the encounters pretty much like the back of my hand, because in order to survive on 9.0, you need to memorize the level layouts and enemy placements. (laughs) Otherwise, you're dead. That sounds like a fun stream that will gradually be less fun as it goes on. (laughs) Yeah, that's generally how it goes. I think it took me about a year of on and off effort to actually get through all the levels oh, wow. on that difficulty. Yeah, it was a long road. The biggest speed bump was Chapter 18 where you play as Magnus. Oh. Because unlike a lot of other levels where the equipment you choose will scale the forced equipment, like for example the Great Sacred Treasure in the final level, its power will scale up if you bring in a powerful weapon. Magnus is not like that. His power is set from the beginning, and as the enemies scale up, that just means they take more and more hits as the difficulty goes up. And also, since their damage scales up as well, it means that Magnus can take less hits. It's really a pain. And And if I recall correctly, Magnus doesn't have any ranged options either. Not at all. And the worst part of it is, um, the way this game's difficulty system works is that you have to bet currency in order to raise the difficulty. What you're doing is you're betting that you'll acquire more currency than you will put in. And if you succeed at beating the level in one go, it's no problem. The problem is if you die. If you die, you drop some of the currency that you earned as well as some of the currency that you put in. And then in Chapter 18, it's impossible to earn back your bet in the Magnus section, which is the hardest part of the level. You have to get to the air battle in order to have a chance of recouping your money. Otherwise, you'll have to start grinding or do what I did and uh, reset scum the game. Because it turns out that if you eject the cartridge on the death screen, you can retry the level with the same amount of money. And yes, I had to abuse that trick in order to get through the level. That's the one time in the game where you do the land section before the air section. Yep. Yeah, Magnus is a... Oh, oh! The worst part about dying in the new Sakurai method of difficulty sliding is not only do you die and you lose a bunch of stuff, they also knock down the difficulty from where you started. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. I should have mentioned that. That's the other reason that 9.0 is so hard. You have to get a perfect run if you want it to stick. Which, uh, that's really hard in some levels, especially the longer ones. I didn't do it so much in Kid Icarus Uprising, but I definitely know it from the Smash Brothers games, the later ones. Yeah, where he decided to add the same idea. Yeah. Very very platinum games of him to just kind of keep the same core ideas no matter which property he's working on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of what gives his games that kind of special stamp that you don't really see often in the video game world. Because video games are such a collaborative effort, it's very, very rare to see a game that is 
the result of a director's vision. Yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's one of the differences between video games and film. Yeah, he's, he's Sakurai's one of a kind. Like, people like him, Kamiya, Kojima, Suda51. Like I said, he's one of a kind and then listed three more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even so, they're pretty rare. But we've been talking about this game for almost 20 minutes, and we haven't talked about the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. The controls. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I first started up the game, the controls made me very, very badly want dual analog. The controls definitely could do with some revision. I Maybe because I'm a filthy right-hander, I didn't have too much of a problem with it. I'm a lefty. I really struggled. Mm, they they sold that uh, peripheral device, I think, to kind of make it... I could never find one. Uh, I just had to learn to aim with my right hand. Uh, it was... It took a lot to wrap my brain around it. Brained. Brain. I can speak. But I did eventually get it, and like I said, I've beaten the game on 9.0. Once you really get into the thick of the game, you realize that the level design and enemy movement and placement, it's all built around the game's funky little aiming system where you slide the tilus uh, along the touchscreen and you have to like spin it and stop it like a globe. That's the way they describe it in-game. That's really honestly the best comparison for how it works. Yeah, it's surprising how good the game is despite the weird controls. I feel like that's the kind of thing that could only happen if someone really competent was working on it. Oh yeah, any lesser game developers would not have been able to handle the funky control scheme that Sakurai insisted on. I mean, even Nintendo, there's other examples. Metroid Other M, for example, was adamant about sticking to the Wii mode, and it really suffered on the gameplay front. And then Star Fox Zero, again, really adamant about the uh, Wii U gamepad controls, and it really suffered. The DS Zelda games were a little tricky at times themselves. I never did get around to playing those. They're not bad, but going back to them after playing A Link Between Worlds is like, yeah, buttons would be nice. <laughs> yeah. The first Zelda game you could probably play on a mobile. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, despite these weird control schemes generally not working, this is the one game where if you really do stick with it, it does work. The game is built around this funky system. Yeah. So... And it does offer a huge degree of accuracy once you do get used to it. There are of course, so many... shot homing also helps. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are so many ways you can customize Pit. It's not even funny. There's the different types of weapons. Oh, yeah. Not even the different... Like, even within the same uh, form of weapon, there are different skins of it with their own stats. And then there's the Palutena slash Veridi abilities you can add onto that the level of customization you have to approach the game is part of what makes it work so well for one thing you the weapons you get from missions you can fuse them together to create new weapons usually with more powerful abilities and stats and even though each weapon is there's a limited number of weapons in the game but because each weapon can have its own unique stats and abilities even two of the exact same weapon can play vastly differently from each other yeah, it's a lot more than meets the eye. 
<laughs> so yeah, a, a lot of the replayability just comes from experimenting with that system, and it's another thing you're going to need to be very familiar with if you want to beat the game on higher difficulties, because you need to know how to get higher weapons, although what I usually did was just fuse spam and, and make the weapons steadily but slowly stronger. Uh, yeah, uh, do you have a preferred type of weapon? Um, I float around between a lot of different things. I really like blades. I'm pretty basic like that. Uh, claws can be a lot of fun on specific levels that have a lot of, like, really close quarters combat. Um, I do find palms fun, but not particularly high use case. I actually did get pretty good with stabs as well. Like, I played a lot of missions on 9.0 with stabs. I think I think I'm a claw guy myself. Claws are fun. The claw. The claw. But yeah, uh, the way the claws work is really fun in particular just because they boost your movement speed and your melee range, so they're for people who really just want to get up close and personal with their fighting style. I find it really funny that one of the weapon types is a cannon because... Yeah. It's just a kind of redundant because all the weapons have projectile functionality. This is basically Ruby, where every weapon is also a gun, and Pit just has actual gun. Like all the weapons, cannons have something that makes them distinct. Uh, cannons are really slow and clunky, but they hit like a truck. I imagine. Yeah, I never really got good with them, but... They're there. In games where you can choose from a wide variety of options, if you see a big one, you can usually assume, oh, it's really slow but powerful. But they don't really ever break the mold with that a lot. I also did experiment with clubs for a while. They're probably the most interesting weapon type. I, I, I kind of avoided clubs if I could help it. That's fair. They're really difficult to get your mind around. And they're probably the worst weapon for the boss fight with the controlled Palutena. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need um, something precise for that boss fight, because you have to hit the Chaoskin without hitting Palutena. And yes, you can kill Palutena, and you will get a game over. Yeah, there are times where you can get a game over for messing a certain thing up, and... Those always stressed me out because I didn't really know about them until after I'd beaten the game. Like, uh, the final Aurum level, when you got the Centurions dragging Pit along through the level, I had them die, and then two more came back, and Palutena was like, okay, but if it happens again, you're gonna feel real guilty. And Pit was like, no! And I thought, oh, okay, it's just kind of a joke thing. And then I found out, no, those were actually the last two ones you could get. And I was like, <gasps> Yep, that that happened to me as well. I I fully understand and sympathize with that situation. I was so mad the first time. It, it makes me nervous about ever coming back to that chapter because I feel like it was probably dumb luck. Yeah, you've got to be pretty on top of things. Uh, with that chapter, you want to pick a weapon with decent range and especially firing speed because you need to move from target to target really fast if you want to protect those centurions. Yeah. Because not only do you have to protect them, you've got to worry about your own back and things landing on the platform, and it's just a mess. I kind of appreciate that 
you're encouraged to try different weapon specialties based on the chapter. You can't just breeze the game with one type of weapon, even though you could. You could. Didn't stop me from trying. Uh, A couple of years ago, I attempted to do a 9.0 run with only a Dark Pit staff, and I actually almost finished it. Almost? What stopped you? Chapter 24. Uh, Oh yeah, the, the, the Great Sacred Treasure, I guess. Yep. I eventually just ran out of steam and decided not to worry about it. Also, fun fact, if you beat the game on 9.0, the treasure reward you get is a million hearts. So, basically, you have all the money you could ever need. Yeah, it's, I think it's like just like a satisfaction of doing it. It is more for the satisfaction of doing it, but it's neat that they put a reward like that in there. Yeah, going back to chapter... Oh, what was it? Chapter 17? Yeah. I do like how they mess around with the formula a little bit. Like, this time, the land battle takes place all in one platform, but you're moving around. Or how chapter 18 reverses the order of land and air. And how one of the later chapters is almost exclusively air, because Dark Pit can fly forever and you're controlling him. It's, It's good that they mix it up. They establish a formula, and then as the game gets... On, or goes on. I can't speak today. As the game goes on, they mix it up. Mm-hmm. It's part of what makes the game work. It's got a lot of variety to it. And also, can we talk about the aesthetics? Because it's one of the best-looking games I've ever seen on the 3DS. In fact, I'd probably say it is the best-looking game on the 3DS. Very good-looking game. You, you could tell me that it would be from... Uh, okay, well, let's say the Wii... And I would probably believe you if I didn't know better. Yeah. The detail they put into the character models, the texture work, it's just... You wouldn't expect that out of such an underpowered handheld. Especially so early in its lifetime. Yeah. Oh, and it also runs 100% stably in 3D, which uh, a lot of games on the 3DS could not do. Wow. Yeah. I'm one of those weirdos who plays with the 3D on all the time. And I really appreciate games that actually use it. And Kitakaras Uprising was one of those games. It looked amazing in 3D. What else is there to say about the game? It's really good. Go play it if you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) But just be aware that the control scheme takes a lot of getting used to and you're going to have to be patient. Fortunately, the default difficulty is on the way low end of the scale. So you have a lot of like leeway to really get used to the game before you really start challenging yourself. Oh yeah, the dynamic difficulty is interesting because while you can ma- you can play any level on any difficulty, the starting spot where you don't have to pay anything gradually increases as the game goes on. No, it's usually 2.0 on all the levels. Oh, maybe maybe I was thinking of no, what it does is it suggests the difficulty. Oh, for that's you, that's what I was thinking, and that's of. what changes as the game goes. But you will have to pay the uh, the feet for the higher difficulties. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. The way the game works is that you start the game on two just because you have no weapons, you have no experience, you don't have any money. You have to play two and that gives you a kind of baseline for what the game is going to feel like as it goes through. And from there, you can choose to stay on two Maybe if you're having some trouble, you can make it a little easier. Or if you're feeling confident, you can make it harder. But it gives you it gives you that all-important baseline. The difficulty is not something you can just select on a menu before you even have a feel for what the game's supposed to be like. 
Yeah, and to be honest, now that you phrase it like that, I feel like that should be how it would be done in most cases. Yeah. Like, start the player at a baseline and then let them select the difficulty from there. I think The World Ends With You handled it in a pretty nice way. I haven't played that game. Should. Uh, There's a lot of games I need to play. <laughs> yeah, same. I still haven't played a whole lot more of Fire Emblem Three Houses since we last spoke. I've been having a job. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I also haven't played a whole lot of it since we last spoke. Just because I've been on an extended break, because I binged the heck out of that game. Uh, ever since our last conversation, which was close to New Year, I think, the only game I've really put significant effort into was Shovel Knights that I got for Christmas. That game is amazing. It is. And I haven't really played any other game in a meaningful capacity since then. Like It's March now, on the day of recording this. March 1st. Yeah, it is March. I, oh my god, it's March now. I haven't really played any games throughout February. That was just a lost month. I even had the extra leap day, and I did nothing with that. <laughs> nice. Me, personally, I've been on a massive Metroid kick. It's kind of why I brought up Metroid earlier in the episode. Oh, yeah. Because Kid Icarus has that kind of link. Fun fact, the original Kid Icarus and the original Metroid came out on the same day. Oh, yeah. I remember how the two games were kind of... There was something that... Like, some fun fact that brought them together, I didn't remember what it was, that was probably... Now, Met Metroid yeah. has a history of simultaneous releases, didn't Didn't Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime come out on the same day, too? You are correct, they did. And while it wasn't the same day, Metroid Zero Mission and Metroid Prime 2 did come out in the same year, 2004. That's a little less impressive, unless it was like... Like, okay, like g give us like within the same week, and then we'll talk. I know, but... Still, it was a nice coincidence. And then they stopped making 2D Metroids for 13 years. Yeah, but the thing with Metroid is it's pretty rare to get two games in the same year. When it rains, so, it pours. It is worth mentioning. Yeah. So, uh, on the Metroid episode of the BitCast we're doing... <laughs> Sorry, it's been on my brain. Your mother brain? <laughs> Wasn't mother brain one of Pitt's antagonists in the Captain N cartoon? You know, I never watched the Captain N cartoon. It was a little before my time. Uh, me neither. But I, I happen to know about it. You know, maybe it was. Because I know that Captain N crossed over a whole bunch of things. Metroid, Kid Icarus, yeah. a few others. Okay, so Pitt was a main character. And he wasn't called Pitt. He was called Kid Icarus. And he would, add, he would like, suffix all of his phrases with Icus. Like, oh, this is really terrible, Icus. He would do that every episode, almost every line. It was really obnoxious. That sounds like a very Saturday morning cartoon thing. Imagine if he did that throughout all of Kid Icarus Uprising. God, the game would be unplayable. <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit surprised they didn't do it on purpose exactly once as a joke, but uh, I guess video game humor didn't get that meta Like at that point. We were still kind of experimenting with meta jokes. And honestly, that game breaks the fourth wall enough on its own. Like, Kanekaris Uprising does not care about breaking the player's immersion. It relishes in it. Oh yeah, that whole 25 years thing. Yep, that comes up a lot. There's uh, at least one casual mention of the load screens. I think there's actually a couple of them. Yeah, at one point, uh, Viridi is guiding Pit through this really long tower, and Pit's like, ah, oh, this is so long, there was a loading screen in the middle of it, and she's like, shh, we're not supposed to talk about those. <laughs> yep. 
That is the exact line I was referencing. I think I think she even her delivery kind of breaks character even. Like she sounds a little more like the actress than the character. I don't know if that was on purpose, <laughs> yeah. but it really services the joke. It really does. That's part of what makes the story so good, is just little touches like that, little details. And there's so much optional conversations in that game, like just little things that will change here and there. Some of them are random, some of them aren't. It's there's a lot to it. Yeah, we like we really need to find out whoever did the script writing in this game and find out what other games they did and if they got localized. I think the English localization was done by a Saturday uh, former Saturday Night Live team. Wow, that should explain some of the humor. Now this game has been very influential on Super Smash Brothers in kind of a weird recursive way. Pit was added to Smash Brothers Brawl because Sakurai wanted another retro character and he always liked Kid Icarus. And yep. then one of Pit's alternate costumes in Brawl was really popular for implying some kind of dark fallen angel and that was made into Dark Pit in this game. Yep. And now Dark Pit is an Echo Fighter in the newer Smash Brothers games, so it's this weird cycle. It is a very strange cycle, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's fine. I actually mained Dark Pit in Smash 4. I, I tend to use him over regular Pit. I just think he's cooler. <laughs> Call me an edgelord, but... Whatever. I, I feel like Dark Pit gets a bit of flack for being kind of an edgelord character when I think the reality is he's sort of a parody of the edgelord rival character, because... He does feel like that in a lot of ways, yeah. No character actually takes him seriously. <laughs> yep. It's great. What do you think... Well, did you play the fourth Smash Brothers game? Yeah, I played Smash 4 a lot. Did you think Kid Icarus was a bit too overrepresented in that game? Because I feel like a lot of people were complaining about that. I wasn't... People, I wasn't too fussed. These are the same people who complain that Fire Emblem's overrepresented. Yeah, but... I, I kind of see but where honestly it's... three characters is not overrepresentation. I think three is solid. I think it's like three characters when Donkey Kong got two and Metroid got two and stuff. It's really just Donkey Kong envy. Yeah. <laughs> the envy of Donkey Kong. Fortunately, both Metroid and Donkey Kong did get more representation in Ultimate. Thank you for adding Ridley and Dark Samus Sakurai. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And K Rule. And K Rule. But uh I guess a lot of the items, too, and the fact that it got two assist trophies. Yeah, it was Phosphor and who was the Magnus. other Magnus. Though, he, oh, got yes, take, Magnus. he got taken out for ultimate. For That's why I was having some reason. remembering him. Well, ultimate has a lot of stuff in it, so I'm not surprised something hit the cutting room floor. Yeah, but I, I kind of see the complaints, because it is just... A sudden burst of Kid Icarus content in Smash Brothers after Sakurai himself did a game for the series, and that. But honestly, I think that's kind of why it happened is because Sakurai did. Yeah, but so it was on his mind. Yeah, but people are saying that oh, he's playing favorites with his own game. I think the more the more likely thing is it's just what Sakurai felt most comfortable using because he wouldn't have to go through other people because like. Even with Mario, he's got to make sure Nintendo's okay with everything. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into everything that happens with Smash, and 
Honestly, I think people give Sakurai a little bit too much crap. Yeah. Anyway, is there anything else you want to talk about with this game? Because I'm actually starting to run out of ideas now. Oh, I, I've been out of ideas for the last ten minutes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we keep talking about Metroid and Captain N and Smash Brothers. I mean, they're all tangentially related if you look hard enough. Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll say. <laughs> Alright, well, yeah, I've said my piece. I really love Kid Icarus Uprising and all its little quirks. It's a good game. Yep. Well, uh, thank you for coming on to the show, Minute Rice. Uh, no problem. I love an excuse to talk about my favorite games. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you like to hear me and various guests talk about other games we tend to like, because it's usually a positive podcast, there's there's some negative episodes, but if you want to hear us talk more, then just follow the BitCast on Twitter and Podcast One's website and app. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.